The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could join us. I'd like to give a special shout out to our Go Green Face Space members. We're almost up to 2,500 folks who are out there following us on our Facebook page. If you would like to follow us on our Facebook page, you can hit our homepage at www.gogreeninitiative.org, and there you'll find a pretty obvious button to join our Facebook page. And I know that a lot of you are listening in today, and I want to thank you for that. We are covering... uh, topic that we really, really got into last week, but we're going to go even further in depth, and that is energy storage. You know, we're hearing a lot about green energy and renewable energy, but a hugely important component of making renewable energy work is energy storage, and you just don't hear about it as much in the headlines. Today, we're going to be joined by the chief operating officer of a company called Ioxis. They're out of New York. His name's Chad Hall, and he's going to help us understand how his company and the technology that they're using can help us make the most out of all this wind and solar that we're putting in all over the country. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Chad. We're so glad to have you. Thanks, Jill. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you know, energy storage is a huge topic, and because it's new to a lot of folks, I want to take it in bite-sized pieces so that our listeners can follow along no matter where their technical background may fall. So let's begin by having you explain the environmental benefits of energy storage. How would adequate energy storage capacity in the U.S. help protect and preserve the environment? That's a great question, Jill. Um, In light of the recent mess in the Gulf, the discussion of of environment and energy is on everybody's mind. To help answer this, I'd like to explain a little bit about how the, the grid works. Uh, currently, the, the electrical grid is unique in that it, it, it must supply exactly the amount of energy that's, that's needed at the time that it's needed without any inventory. <clears throat> this is a unique business model. Every other industry meets their demand with, with inventory. Today, less than 2% of generation capacity is in the format of energy storage, which is generally today uh, pumped hydro. But typically, production must quickly ramp to meet the demand or if demand can't be met, the electrical grid needs to shut itself down to protect itself. Mm-hmm. To meet this uh, instant demand today, generators use what's called spinning reserve. This is essentially a power plant that runs in case it needs to be used. Energy storage w- would remove some of the spinning reserve, allowing for a reduction in the emissions from generating facilities. Bottom line is less oil, less coal, less gas. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know, are, are you discussing peaker plants? That's a, a terminology that some of our listeners may not be familiar with. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, what the impact that energy storage capacity could have on, you know, whether or not we need these peaker plants, which oftentimes are kind of belching pollution left and right when they have to be used. Yes, that's exactly what this is. This is a peaker. Um, they're called peaker because they're used to meet the peak demand of energy requirements. 
and peakers run, uh, like I said, in the, in the event that they actually are needed. Uh, so if we can use energy storage to replace those peakers for the short-term demands, then we would, we would be able to use less, less uh, oil and gas. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody knows the, the benefits of that. You know, uh, everybody's used some kind of a battery-powered device. So the concept of energy storage isn't new to people, but I think this concept of storing it on a large, you know, utility size scale might be kind of new. Um, but that there's a cost to that. <laughs> energy storage isn't free. And I know that a lot of folks are looking at the economy and, you know, our jobless rate and what have you, and they think, hey, you know, environmental protection is great, but it's kind of a luxury. And maybe we should be spending public dollars on job creation efforts first. But the fact is, energy storage offers both an economic benefit, you know, and, an, as we discussed, an environmental benefit. Tell us about some of the economic benefits of energy storage. Okay. Um, first, let's say the United States has historically been a country of ingenuity. We've always made lemonade from lemons. This is a great mm-hmm. chance for the United States to reinvent itself to create green industries with high-tech, pay- high high-paying jobs, just like we did with the automobile. All across America, universities, inve- inventors, small businesses, and government institutions are pulling together for a common cause, reducing our, our dependency on foreign oil. Creating these technologies leads to manufacturing jobs. Add in good old-fashioned American ingenuity, and we can rebuild our country's self-worth. Energy today is a $30 billion market. In five years, it could be $60 billion. We have to move today before another country acts. China is already investing heavily in energy storage, and currently IOX is is producing some of the best ultra-capacitors in the world right here in New York, beating Asian pricing. It can be done. Uh, We can create jobs here in the United States and and, and really take over this uh, energy storage, but we've got to start today. Well, and, you know, I've done a lot of work in China. Actually, I've been over there twice this spring, um, and, and they are building. A lot of people don't realize here in the U.S. just how much they are investing in wind farms and solar. Um, it's pretty incredible, and it's on a scale like nothing that I have ever experienced in the U.S., and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, how an American company can compete in that market. Um, a lot of folks believe that the Chinese have really got a leg up on us when it comes to battery technology, um, but we'll talk about that in, in just a few minutes. You know, the, the oil spill is just one more reason that a lot of folks are, are really looking at what can we do to get our energy from another source. Um, for a long time, though, there are a lot of bipartisan groups nonpartisan groups who've been talking about weaning our country off of foreign oil. Um, and that is something that a lot of people can embrace regardless of which side of the aisle they're on. Uh, a lot of Americans understand that if we continue to spend billions of dollars with countries that don't like us very much in exchange for their oil, that really doesn't help us or our children in the long run. Tell us, Chad, how does energy storage capacity play into that issue? How could energy storage help us break our dependence on foreign oil and you know, while we're doing that, protect our national security efforts. Sure. Well, let's look at an example of, of a car. Today, 85% of the total cost of ownership for a traditional gasoline-powered engine car is the fuel. So today we're paying for foreign, foreign oil to use this energy on American soil. Energy storage plays a vital role in, uh, in globally in the marketplace for all applications, industry, cars, everything that we look at, energy production, if we aren't making the energy storage components here, we're simply replacing our foreign dependency on oil with a foreign dependency on batteries and ultra capacitors. 
Windmills are going up daily in the United States. Solar panels are being installed all across America by local construction crews. The, all these efforts create jobs. They reduce our dependency on, on fossil fuels. If we aren't going to build and install these items, somebody will. Today, energy demand is growing annually between 2 and 4%. Wow. The less dependent we are on foreign countries for these energy needs, the less chance we need to defend areas that share our interest in those energy products. Uh, products. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, you know, some people might say, well, hey, let's just build a kajillion wind farms. What do we need energy storage for? How does energy storage specifically, you know, make renewable energy viable? Okay. Uh, first, wind and solar are both great renewable products. However, they're both very intermittent. Uh, by nature, sun, the sun shines during the day, wind spins at night. Um, so we need to be able to store this energy when it's most efficient. During the day, you have times of peak demand. When you're not uh, using the energy, it should be put into a storage. Right now, it's, it's just simply not being used. And with the windmill, same thing. And, and wind, the wind changes um, and solar changes throughout the day if you have clouds or if you have a change in wind speed. So you have to be able to, to optimize the output of that with, with energy storage. So if you have a drop in the, the wind, wind speed, you need storage to fill that gap. Without that, the, 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 the cost and production of solar and wind becomes very expensive because you can't reliably depend on it. So energy storage gives you much more dependability and, and it mitigates that uh, variability from the production. Well, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, a lot of people, you know, even if you don't have a technical background, which I do not, um, we know that the wind typically blows harder at nighttime, and that's when a lot of people are sleeping and they're not using as much electricity. And if you can't store all that wind energy, then it's just lost, right? I mean, where would it go otherwise? That's correct. It's, it's, it's lost. You know, I, I'm hoping there's a good answer to this, but I'm suspecting that there's not. Based on the best possible projections of how much energy America is going to need in the next few decades, does anybody have a master plan for exactly how much new energy generation we need to add and exactly how much energy storage capacity that we need, or is it a little less organized? Are we in a time when, you know, solar vendors are going to try and manufacture and sell as much as they can, and wind vendors are going to do the same, and energy storage investors are going to struggle to sell their technologies in the wake of all that, you know, renewable energy, renewable energy hype? Um, does anybody actually have a plan <laughs> to integrate all these technologies? Well, that's a very good question, a good set of questions, I should say. Um, and the answer is yes, uh, short term. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know it's, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer, but by nature, everybody's going to try to sell their product. So you're going to have solar companies and wind companies trying to sell their product. Um, at the same time, we, we're trying to sell energy storage. The good news is that there is a plan forming. There's lots of stumbling blocks, but if we have to clear the hurdles, if we want to win the energy race. Currently, the, the National Institute of Science and Technology, or NIST, they identified a lack of, of unified standards for interconnections for grid storage. And without consistent rules, we, we can be building unique interfaces for separate markets. This doesn't do anybody any good. In general, currently, each local, uh, local utility can set their own requirements. Mm -hmm. um, this hampered the uh, distributed generation industry until the Department of Energy got behind a creation of common interconnect standards uh, via the IEEE, or more specifically the IEEE 1547 interconnect standard for uh, distributed generation. Mm -hmm. Most states have adopted this by reference. Now, the Federal um, Regulatory Commissioner, FERC, has taken steps over the last few years uh, for wholesale power markets for non-generation resources. 
specifically for demand response and energy storage. Right. All the FERC-regulated ISOs have uh, fully opened their markets to these technologies, and, and, and who knows when they will. Uh, but future energy storage growth depends on the continued opening of these markets to new technologies. States continue to adopt and expand renewable portfolio standards, and as they do, storage will be more, more on the list of things to consider for each new installation, and hopefully it will become mandated. The Department of Energy is working on the plan, and they really would like to see about 30% um, of our, our, our capacity in storage by the year 20, uh, 2030. Wow, 30%. That's, like, give us some idea. What's the cost to actually put that much capacity, storage capacity in? Um, we're, we're talking hundreds of, hundreds of billions of dollars. Wow. What do you think the likelihood of that happening is? Well, I think it's... it's it has to happen. I think that if we don't, uh, we'll just continue to depend on a diminishing supply of, of fuel. Um, right. As the fuel continues to run out, we'll be in more trouble. So we've really got to start looking at the capacity for storage and, and renewable generation and really keep a focus on that as a, as a country um, because everybody else in the world is. Um, right. you, have, you have a lot of countries who, who've kind of skipped over the industrialization phase and have moved into the, the, the you know, look at India and, and places like that. Um, same thing happened with the cell phones. They don't have wired phones because they skipped it over it, and everybody has a cell phone now. Same right. thing's happening here. They, they're putting wind and solar in places that, that we wouldn't think would be possible. They are doing it. What do you think you know, the role of government should be in this? We have about a minute till commercial. Are our elected officials up to the, the task of what they need to do in order to lead the way on this effort? Well, Last year, the Department of Energy came out with some grant opportunities called the Advanced Research Projects Agency Energy. It's called the ARPA-E. It's designated to help fund the research and manufacturing of energy storage technologies. So as part of that, some states, such as New York, started what's called the, the New York Battery and Energy Storage Technologies. It's New York Best. IOCSIS is a founding member of, of New York Best. Mm -hmm. uh, these grant opportunities allow for technologies to not only be researched but to be manufactured. The key is to ensure that these jobs stay here in the United States. Some companies, such as Energy2, who is a carbon manufacturer, and A123 Systems, or a lithium-ion battery company, they received money from these grants and started to build facilities here in the United States to compete globally. We right. continue doing that and make sure that the politicians have, have the, the track to, to, to move forward with, with energy storage and, and fund some of these things so that we can compete globally. Right. Well, folks, we are going to be talking more with Chad Hall right after this commercial break, so don't go away. We've got lots more on Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Haiti has been hit hard by a deadly earthquake. Destruction is everywhere. Tens of thousands are feared dead and hundreds of thousands are homeless without food, water, and basic necessities. Save the Children is on the scene, but your support is urgently needed to help us save lives. Please give as much as you can now. Call 1-800-SAVE-THE-CHILDREN or go online at savethechildren.org. You can even donate $10 right now by texting the word SAVE from your cell phone to 20222. Please give now. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We're talking energy storage today. And some of you may be thinking, energy storage, why should I care? Well, here's why you should care. Your country is putting in all kinds of wind, all kinds of solar. Everybody's talking about green energy this, renewable energy that. But in order to make those technologies work, we've got to have energy storage. It may not be as sexy for the headlines, but it's just as important when it comes to making our electricity work for us. And so we are talking to one of the industry leaders today. It's Chad Hall, the COO of IOXIS. They're out of New York, right here in America, which is great. Um, and he's going to be talking to us about his company and what they're doing with ultracapacitors um, in terms of the green uh, energy storage uh, opportunities that we have right here stateside. So, Chad, thanks so much for joining us on Go Green Radio. I want you to talk specifically about your company, IOXIS. Give our listeners an, an overview of what your company does and the technology in which you specialize. Thanks, Jill. Um, my company is IOXIS. IOXIS actually stands for, for power in Greek. Uh, IOXIS ah. is the only company to completely design and manufacture all those ultracapacitors and hybrid capacitors within the United States. Our parent company, Custom Electronics, was founded in 1964. They produce high-voltage, high-reliability capacitors for military, satellite communication, and industrial applications. In 2003, our company began researching ultracapacitors as a way of diversifying its product line. IOXIS was formed in 2007 to pursue the manufacture of these products. We actually received venture capital funds uh, from Braemar Energy Ventures in 2008. 
we began production of our, our, our ultracapacitors in 2009, and currently we manufacture products from 100 farads through 5,000 farads and hybrid capacitors from 220 farads to 1,000 farads. We also build modules, and we can create systems for all of our customers as well. Now, what's the advantage of ultracapacitors over other energy storage technologies? Because I've read about flywheels and, you know, other things. What's the big deal with ultracapacitors? Okay, ultracapacitors are unique. Um, I'd like to compare them a little bit with batteries because that's the closest technology. Um, When you look at an ultracapacitor, when it charges and discharges, there's no, no chemical reaction that takes place. When you have a battery, every time it charges or discharges, there's a chemical reaction. This slows down the, the, the charge and discharge um, for the battery. So the ultracapacitor is faster reacting. It can charge and discharge extremely fast, meaning you can recapture more of your energy in applications such as regenerative braking or when you lower a crane, uh, things like that. Um, to, to kind of give you a, a little more sense, batteries are an energy-dense storage technology. They have um, high energy density, low power density. Ultracapacitors have have high power density but a lower energy density. They still maintain some energy density. Um, If I could make a quick analogy to make this easy for everybody. Sure. um, Let's say you have a a, a teapot full of water. That's your battery. The water is the energy inside. So you fill the teapot up, that's your energy. Now you have a small spout. Now you tip the pot up, you only get a little bit of water at a time. That's that's the energy coming out. So you have a little water coming out of of the spout, but you have all the energy behind it that you can't get out very quickly. Now, if you take a teapot and fill that up with water, I'm sorry, a teacup, fill that up with water, that's a smaller amount of energy because it's a smaller volume than, than, the, than the teapot. Mm-hmm. But as, as fast as you can pour that, that, that cup, the, the, faster the, as the energy comes out as fast as you can pour it. Mm-hmm. So that's a high power density. So ultracapacitors actually um, can dump energy very quickly and accept it very quickly. So ultracapacitors also, because they don't have a chemical reaction, have a very high cycle life. Typically, batteries can cycle between 100 to, to several thousand cycles. Ultracapacitors cycle in the millions of times. They, they operate over a wider temperature range from minus 40 to plus 70 degrees Celsius. Um, so they really have a, a, a number of, of advantages um, for some, some applications. Now, we're not trying to replace batteries because most applications, we do need batteries for the energy storage. Uh, but the ultracapacitors can certainly enhance the battery and make systems more efficient and, and last longer. Gotcha. Well, and, you know, I, I have to wonder if the, the folks who are behind the public dollars that are being spent for energy storage get this well enough to invest appropriately in what you're doing. Um, do you feel like you spend a greater amount of time uh, educating folks who are in charge of public dollars than anything else? Or, you know, where are they at in terms of understanding what needs to be done and where they need to invest those public dollars? Well, I, I think initially, yes. I, I think that ultracapacitors were, were, until a few years ago, kind of thought of as more of a side, side uh, um, technology. Uh, it's become more mainstream in the last few years, and there was a, a quote from the Department of Energy uh, director, that I believe he said that without ultracapacitors, there's no, uh, no EV market. You've got to have the ultracapacitors. Um, it sounds a, a little bit arrogant for the ultracapacitor uh, group, but it actually is it's true. Uh, That's interesting. Let's talk about EVs, electric vehicles. You know, a lot of people that I've spoken with in the EV world are focusing on lithium-ion battery technology. How does your company fit into that discussion? Okay. 
Well, like I said, without ultra caps, there's no EV, um, and I'll tell you why. Batteries simply cannot cycle the 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 number of required the number of required times as needed for an electric vehicle. Um, by hybridizing that energy storage system with an ultra capacitor and a battery, we can use the ultra capacitors to supply power. Think about acceleration. Um, every time you need to accelerate your vehicle, the there's a lot of power, and to, and to do that with a battery, you need to oversize the battery to do that. Now. Based on chemistry, batteries are made for energy density, not power density. Mm-hmm. And ultracapacitors are, are chemically made for power. So, like, like I said, acceleration requires a lot of power. To do that with a battery, you, you damage the battery, um, so you, you make the battery system bigger. For, with, with the ultracapacitors, you can actually reduce the size of your battery and reduce the cost of your warranty. For mild hybrids, such as start-stops, um, ultracapacitors are, are, are great great for starting the car. Uh, the batteries are, a small battery is still required to sustain the electronics, but the power from starting the car actually comes from the capacitors. So mm. EVs actually, uh, if you, you're looking at full plug-in or full EVs, uh, the ultra capacitors can work in several areas for um, acceleration, power steering, power braking, um, energy recapture. That, that seems to be the now, there are a number of areas where ultracapacitors can, can benefit the, the EVs. Are you guys working with any, you know, electric vehicle manufacturers at the moment? Um, we are working with several companies in, in a lot of different uh, markets, but we're not allowed to discuss that currently. Gotcha. <laughs> you could tell me, but then you'd have to kill me. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there are a lot of people who think that China is way out in front of the U.S. on battery and energy storage technology. I'm asking this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, I mean, do you think the U.S. can compete? Can we catch up with, you know, they've been doing battery technology for cell phones and, you know, EVs for a long time. What kind of an investment would it take for the U.S. to catch up there? Yeah, we are behind. China's been making batteries for a long time. Um, there's a lot of touch labor in the battery manufacturing process. But today, people are looking at, more and more people are looking at the automation of these processes. And like I said earlier, America has the ingenuity to make this happen. We have to make our minds up collectively as a country that we're going to actually do this, um, or, if, or if we're going to just stay a service industry. We've got to take the lead in high-tech manufacturing like we used to have. Ioxys is doing it now with competing with an Asian, uh, Asian uh, companies. Uh, we're beating them with price and performance. It can be done, and, and it's just a matter of, of the investment. Now, the investment is, is fairly large, and you're talking billions of dollars because these processes to set up are not, not inexpensive when you talk about batteries. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, mechanical and, and, and machinery and automation and, and, and chemical recapture and things like that to make sure that you do it properly and, and um, you know, do it environmentally friendly uh, to make sure you, you keep your process as clean as possible. So... Uh, but battery companies struggle with this, and, and to do that in the United States, it, it, it requires some, some, some funding. But it can be done, and I think the America um, is really looking at how it can do this, and the Department of Energy is fully behind these, uh, these innovations with the, with the RPE, and you have organizations like NYSERDA, which is the New York State Energy Research and Development Association. Uh, IOXIS has received, uh, I believe, seven grants from NYSERDA in the past uh, several years. So it's there. There's manufacturing incentives. It's people have to people have to want this, and if you do, it can it can happen. Well, you know, at the beginning of this year, my very first interview of 2010 was with the president and executive director of the Electrification Coalition out of D.C., and they're really pushing for the electrification of 
light transportation in the U.S. So it would be personal vehicles and trucks like, you know, FedEx and, and what have you. And I asked him the question, hey, you know, that's great if we all go electric and we can power it off of renewable energy, but here's the deal. If we are going to start having to import batteries rather than import oil, are we really that much better off? I mean, I realize the carbon emissions will be lower, but, you know, are, are we really solving that dependency issue? What do you say to that? I, I think you're 100% right. We, we, we are environmentally doing the right thing, but uh, from a country standpoint, um, in job creation here in the United States, if, if we allow China to continue their, their, their pace of, of developing energy and battery and energy storage products, um, we, we simply become dependent up on them for uh, one more thing. We, we're already currently dependent on China for so many things. Um, you know, energy is just one more thing that, for them to say, hey, you know, we, we've got to stand up as, as, a, as a company or as, as a country and, and make this happen and, and make the change and, and get dependent on ourselves. Yeah, stand on our own two feet. You know, and, and I, I told the, you know, the, the person I was interviewing, is Robbie Diamond, I said, look, you know, if I were China, I'd be cheering you on. I'd say, yes, go, America, electrify your, you know, your light vehicles. And then guess what? When you have accomplished that mission, we're going to jack the prices up of batteries. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think that what you're doing and what you're suggesting is incredibly important. We really do have to have a good domestic supply of energy storage. Well, folks, we are going to take a quick commercial break, but we will be right back with more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. This is a part in the show that I've really become uh, attached to. I love this segment. We have a couple of green teen journalists down in L.A. under the production of Scott McGinnis and Global Broadcast for Kids that give us a green news segment every week, and I love to play it during this segment of our show. So listen in as Marley and Elijah bring you green news for kids. GlobalBroadcastForKids.com presents GBK Green News in association with the Go Green Initiative. From one kid to another. Hey, what's up guys? It's me, Elijah. And Marley. With GBK's Green News in association with the Go Green Initiative on Go Green Radio. And we're going to get started. Real fans recycle. In hopes of keeping 165,000 pounds of cardboard and plastic out of the landfills, the Chicago Cubs are asking fans to recycle their plastic drink cups at the games. These cubbies are really on top of their game. To further cut down waste and raw materials used at the games, the cubbies vendors will now be using compostable plates, forks, spoons, and knives. And all plastic drink cups and napkins will be made from recycled content. Outside the park, fans will find 25 dual-purpose free green cans surrounding Wrigley Field, providing year-round public recycling opportunities for Cubs fans, residents, and visitors of Wrigleyville neighborhood. Well, so what? So what? The Go Green Initiative says sports teams and pro athletes have a tremendous influence on the American culture, especially America's favorite pastime, baseball. What's really cool about what the Cubbies are doing is that they're mixing environmental education with a great day at the ballpark. They're making recycling fun, and who knows, maybe when they start posting some data on the environmental benefits of their programs, they will spark some friendly competition among the other Major League Baseball teams. As fans begin to see these green measures at Wrigley Park as a normal expectation, it's entirely possible that they will want similar services at other sporting events. Way to set the bar high, Cubbies. The U.S. Green Building Council has certified the LEEDND. LEEDND expands the well-known LEED system for green buildings to larger-scale projects, for from two buildings to multiple buildings on sites up to 320 acres. This building system uses principles for a new way of life for people in cities and towns, focused on mixed-use planning and walkable neighborhoods, and was developed in association with the Natural Resources Defense Council and the Congress of the New Urbanism. While LEEDND is primarily designed for neighborhood-scale projects, it may also apply to campus-style developments, such as university campuses, military bases, resort developments, religious retreat centers, or summer camps. Well, so what? So the Go Green Initiative says one of the things that good urban planners know is that clusters of buildings work together as a system. It's great to build individual buildings that are green, meaning that they are energy efficient and conserve natural resources. But in an urban environment, the way that buildings work together is important, too. 
For instance, buildings can be planned to ensure open, green space, to make space for community gardens, or to make solid waste management and recycling very efficient. By using the LEEDND certification, communities can begin to think of their neighborhoods as systems that maximize services to residents and decrease the impact to the environment. Spanish renewable energy firm Abengoa said on Monday that a 50-megawatt solar plant it had built, which is capable of supplying 27,500 homes, has begun feeding power to the grid. The Solnova 3 plant is part of Abengoa's Solucar complex near the southwestern city of Seville, which will have installed a capacity of 300 megawatts when complete. Abengoa said in a statement that the new plant will save 31,400 tons of carbon dioxide pollution a year, which would be produced if the same amount of power was generated from fossil fuels. The company has also signed a deal with the Arizona Public Service Utility to build a 280 megawatt Solana plant, which will be the biggest of its type in the world. Well, so what? The Go Green Initiative says CSP solar technology is really awesome. It uses a series of mirrors to focus the sun's rays into a highly concentrated beam. The reflections from the mirrors create intense heat and help to squeeze every last bit of the sun's energy out of the time the sun is shining. CSP technology is newer and much more powerful than the last generation of solar panels, which is why CSP solar plants can create more megawatts than old solar farms that take up the same amount of land and space. Very cool. New businesses that have just joined the Go Green Initiative, Go Green Edition, Batu Cave, Selangor, Malaysia, Segway Rent Concept, Aachen, Germany, SunGuard Public Sector, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and Total Natural, San Jose, Costa Rica. So here are some homes that have just joined the Go Green Initiative, a home in Centreville, Virginia, and a home in Elkhart, India. All right, guys, this is Marley. And Elijah. Signing off with GBK's Green News in association with the Go Green Initiative on Go Green Radio. And make sure you do one thing a day to help the environment, like take two minutes less in the shower. Recycle your bottles and cans. Whatever you can do. All right. Until next time. Bye. Later, everybody. Guys. GBK Green News. Copyright 2010. Globalbroadcastforkids.com. Well, there you go, guys. Our favorite green teen journalists from L.A. with the Global Broadcast for Kids. Chad, what'd you think of those bright kids? I think that was a, that was a great job, and uh, it's great to hear some of the some of the efforts that are going on. Yeah, I mean they they are pretty thorough, and it's really cool to get it in a kid's voice because it kind of reminds you what we're doing this for for future generations of Americans. Speaking of Americans. I love the fact that your company's website makes a huge, big deal, that your products are made entirely in the U.S., and that's fantastic for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which is, you know, those kids that were just on, you know, Green News for Kids, all those kids are going to need jobs, and you're creating jobs for Americans. But beyond that, Chad, what do you see as the main benefit of operating entirely out of the U.S.? Well, our parent company, Custom Electronics, has focused on the military market for about 46 years. Um, so we have a, a good customer base to, to deal with. Um, being the only company to manufacture the ultracapacitors in the United States gives us a, a slight advantage there. Um, but it also enables us, enables us to serve our, our core customers, um, those that are, made, that are using the parts right here in the United States. reduces transportation costs and, and, and the emissions of those transportation costs and allows the OEMs and customers to visit us at our facility anytime they want, and we're pretty much a six-hour plane ride from any place in the United States. So. 
That's pretty awesome. Now, I read a press release that impressed me tremendously um, about a partnership that IOXIS formed with a university. Um, Tell us more about that partnership and what that's done for your company and for the school involved. Sure. Um, This particular uh, partnership was was based with uh, Binghamton University. It's part of the SUNY system. And this partnership was set up to uh, look at the efficiencies and and inefficiencies of um, our our products and then how we can make them better, uh, how we can continue to develop new products and and make the overall uh, energy efficiency of our, our products and energy storage systems better. That's pretty awesome. And in that same press release, it mentioned that you had received federal funding of about $1.4 million. And I'm curious, in order to get that kind of federal funding, what kind of requirements does the federal government put on you? I mean, did they make you promise to create a certain number of jobs, or, you know, was there a requirement that you make products solely in the U.S.? How does that funding process work? Okay. Well, the, the, the funding actually went to SUNY Binghamton. Um, but we've partnered with SUNY Binghamton for this, um, and we do uh, say that we are going to create jobs, and we have created those jobs. Um, it wasn't a requirement because we weren't the um, the, the primary uh, funding source or fu- funding re- recipient, um, but we do um, plan to continue manufacturing our products here in the United States, and we do plan to, cr- uh, to grow a large number of jobs, hopefully here in, in Oneonta, New York, or in several other locations across the country as we grow. That's awesome. That's awesome. And now, you know, tell me more about how this partnership works. You know, do the the kids doing, you know, the students doing research, or, you know, are they actually part of manufacturing? How exactly does that work? Um, What we do is we we actually work with the students for them to learn our process and and the the materials that we're using. And then uh, we direct the the program and tell them what, what areas of research we think we need and then they work with us and, and with the professors to, to, to structure a research pro- project around the, the d- demand that's required. For example, if we, if we wanted to um, have a better terminal, we would talk to them about packaging and terminals, and we would say, please, please uh, help us with this terminal, so that they would actually set up a program around that. But the, the major focus for this, uh, this project is increasing energy density. Um, and, and out of that, we have created our hybrid capacitors, which are uh, uh, asymmetrical. Uh, they, they do have a, a, they're basically a half lithium ion battery, half ultra capacitor, and they have a higher energy density than a traditional ultra capacitor. Um, and we, we currently are, are manufacturing those now uh, between 100, I'm sorry, 220 farads and 1,000 farads. Wow, that's pretty impressive. I, I, I hope I'm not being nosy here, but I am just curious what private funding is like for a company like yours. Is the, you mentioned earlier that you got some venture capital investment. What's the environment like for energy storage companies when it comes to VC money? Well, I think in general, I think it's been, it's been um, venture capital money has been a little tighter uh, for the last uh, a couple, maybe a year, year and a half. Um, but as far as uh, IOXIS goes, um, and we, we have a, a, good, a good company that we're working with, Braemar Energy Ventures, and uh, you know, we really haven't had to go outside of those guys at this time. Uh, we're still with our Series A funding, and uh, you know, I, I've heard some stories from some companies that they've had a rough time, and I'm not sure if that's the technology that they're using or um, if it's the actual environment, but I, I, I tend to believe that if the... Um, technology was, was right, uh, most venture capitalists would, would go for the, the opportunity if it was there. I'm going to give you a, a one-minute infomercial opportunity. 
Who are your biggest competitors, and why is IOXIS superior? Sure. Um, our, the largest competitor we have is Maxwell Technologies. Um, they are manufacturing. They manufacture a portion of their product in San Diego and, and uh, portion overseas. Um, IOXIS is superior because we offer um, several things. We offer a, a, a higher performance uh, power density cells. We offer uh, better form factor. Um, they're, they're a good, they're, but they're a great company. Um, I think all of the companies in, in the ultra-capacitor space are really putting their best efforts forward to come out with, with great technology. Um, I, I think we're all uh, looking at each other as a, to support each other because this is a, a growing market. So um, I would say that IOXIS makes one of the best products in the market, if not the best, and we manufacture that at, at one of the lowest costs, if not the lowest cost. It very much depends on um, markets and applications, but there are several ways to look at different products, and we think we have the best. Um, the competitors are, are, are certainly great competitors, and they're, everybody in this market has been a, a fair sport, and they've all been uh, supportive of our efforts to, to create a company. Oh, that's awesome. Well, folks, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but we will be back with Chad Hall and more on energy storage when we come back in just a moment with more Go Green Radio. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? or 14%. Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk radio show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news, talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. You know, if you have just joined us and you're wishing that you hadn't missed the beginning of the show, don't worry, because in addition to being on the Voice America Variety Channel, which you're listening to right now, we're also syndicated on the Green Talk Network, which you can find by going to voiceamerica.com and clicking on the Green Talk Network button. We are aired every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 
noon Eastern time, and everybody in between those time zones can do the math. But that's when you can hear this show again. So if you've missed part of it or if you want to hear it again or recommend it to your friends, let's listen in to the Green Talk Network next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, and you can hear this again. We're joined by Chad Hall. He's the Chief Operating Officer for IOXIS, a company right here in the good old U.S. of A., involved in energy storage capacity, which is absolutely critical, a critical component to the electricity demand that this country is going to have to meet in the 21st century. Chad, I'm going to ask you a big question, and I don't expect a full answer because this is a difficult one, but it's something I think we need to tackle. From your perspective, what is the U.S. lacking in terms of public policy that would enable us to get energy storage capacity up to the level that it really does need to be? It's a great question, and it is a difficult question. I think that uh, public policy really needs to look at um, the acceptance, overall acceptance of energy storage and look at who, who has it and who's going to pay for it. Um, is it going to be a, a government-funded thing? Um, will the utilities pay for the, the, the storage? Will the, will the end users pay for it, and how do they repay, repay the, the uh, energy storage additions? Um, to get the, the, the energy storage capacity to where it needs to be, um, I think that the utility companies, utility companies themselves, need to be funded for research. I think a lot of them, when deregulation happened, lost a lot of their the research dollars. And I think that um, getting getting some money to them to do the overall research and, and look at how to hybridize these systems to make sure that we're getting the right products for the right uh, application. Um, you, you just can't stick a battery in most applications, and even within batteries, there's you know two dozen technologies or chemistries that that. Um, all have their own benefits and, 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 and uh, drawbacks. So, looking at how to how how, how we can hybridize these systems um, to make make use of the, the each each component for flow batteries. They're great for energy, but they're not real great for power. Ultracapacitors are great for power, but not for not real great for energy. And, and maybe even lithium ion, how how that fits within there, or even the addition of flywheels. I mean, each technology has their own benefit. We should really look at how how they play together. Well, and what's our time horizon? I mean, when when do we need to have the answers to those questions? I think we we have some time. I think that you know the the grid itself is is growing. I think the the EV market is, is certainly growing. Um, I'm not sure it's gonna it's gonna be at the pace that a lot of us would like to see it go. Um, but th- I think there's time. I, the utilities still have to sort out what's going to happen when when everybody does have an EV. Um, when everybody comes home at 5 o'clock and plugs in, what does that do to the system? We talked earlier about the peaking, peaking uh, uh, generation uh, facilities, and, and do we need to in- put more of them in? Can we, can we do it with energy storage? So there's a lot of things that need to, to, need to happen. But you know, in terms of public policy, we need to look at standards, whether that's FERC and NERC and, and, and uh, the ISOs. and um, all, all these things need to be looking, working together and how they can, can share share. Communications, you know, Department of Energy maybe can can help with that, but uh, there's certainly a lot of ways to go. And I think that the idea of smart grid, um, as it as it comes forward, will, will be a big big player in that. Well, and we have a unique situation in the U.S. where you know everybody loves the idea of local control, and you know the fact that we don't have this huge federal government telling us what to do all the way down to the, you know, city level for every little thing. But at the same time, there are some inefficiencies with, you know, all the utility companies and all the various, you know, state public utilities commissions and what have you, um, because all of those entities really do have to interface and cooperate in order to create a national 
grid that works. I mean, I know I live near the Altamont Pass here in California, and most of those windmills are owned by Florida Power and Light. So, I mean, it's a very complicated system with a lot of, you know, layers to the bureaucracy and public policy making that's, that's around it. And uh, it, it's just difficult sometimes to be clear about whose responsibility it is to, to do what and set those standards. Um, you know, and, and in stark contrast, you have a country like China where, you know, that part isn't an issue. There, of course, there are a lot of other issues to, you know, their form of government. But, um, you know, they're putting in wind and solar farms like crazy. Are, are you going to play in that market? Is Ioxys going to have a share in that market? Uh, yes, we will. Um, we are, we're going after that market very aggressively. Um, there are lots of applications within wind and solar for, for uh, ultracapacitors, for example, wind. Um, there's a great application for windmill pitch control where the, the ultracapacitors are small enough, light enough, and powerful enough to go inside the blades uh, where they can actually turn the blades out of the, the way of a, a high wind event. Uh, wow. For example, if the, you have a high-speed wind coming through, you want to change those uh, blades so that they're not being uh, hit with full force with, with the wind so that the windmill spins out of control. Wow. Well, just FYI, Chad, something to keep in your hip pocket. I'm a strategic advisor for an organization called the Joint U.S. Collaborative, China Collaborative on Clean Energy. So um, I'm, I'm actually doing a lot of work in that space, so maybe we can have an offline discussion. But that is a huge, huge opportunity for a company like Ioxys, um, for sure. I mean, there's just nothing like the, the scale of what China's doing over there with, uh, with renewable energy. It's pretty amazing. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a fan, like an online fan, of uh, the Carbon War Room. Their website has a lot of great information, and, um, and I, I have to go down this path because I really feel like this is one of those pivotal questions, and, you know, nobody has to pretend like they have all the answers. But according to their website, there are four major barriers to widespread deployment of energy storage capacity. There's regulation, utility acceptance, pricing, and technology. With respect to regulation, and I know this is a tough question, but should energy storage be regulated as generation or as transmission? And what are some of the pros and cons to each? Well, I, I think that is a very tough question. And if you refer back to a question I, I talked about earlier with the total cost of ownership of a vehicle being the fuel, I think uh, the people who, who are, are really looking at energy storage are, are both the transmission and distribution guys. Uh, I'm sorry, the transmission and generation people. Um, both of them, I think, would like the, the, the monetization of the energy storage, but putting it in and who should control it is certainly a, still a question that's still up in the air. I think that the transmission, and as we move forward, the grid becomes very um, segmented. You have certain areas of the country that are good for wind and some that are good for solar, um, and smart grid will have people buying energy from two states away. Um, all these things come, come into it, so... Uh, I think each each generation and transmission need to have energy storage. Uh, I think that uh, regulation is, is kind of kind of leaning towards generation because uh, it is, it is a, a, a product of the generation. Um, so it really lo- it comes down to who can monetize that best be- before anybody takes responsibility for it and pushes for uh, control of that regulation. Does Ioxys have an official position on that, which you'd rather see it uh, regulated under, generation or transmission? Uh, no, we do not. 
Probably safe. <laughs> Probably safe bet. You know, a lot of consumers are becoming increasingly familiar with smart meters, part of the smart grid. Do you foresee a time when consumers will be able to make their energy consumption choices based on real-time data about their local renewable energy flow versus their stored energy flow? I mean, do you see that kind of information ever being so accessible that, like, I could get on my, my iPhone and say, you know, because of, you know, what's going on right now, real-time in my you know, electricity world, these are the choices that I'm going to make. I mean, do you think that's coming? Well, I, I think that it is. I think there's a, a lot of products coming out that allow for the, the um, addition of intelligence to your home electronics. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to kind of give a definition of the smart grid, um, if you don't mind, it, to help some of the people that are out there. Um, the smart grid is a two-way communication and control from any place on the grid. This enables a, a greater control of the efficiencies through more of an accurate, real-time data, allowing free markets to, uh, to influence the behavior of, of, of the, this energy. Mm-hmm. Um, this will allow uh, day billing, which will allow utility companies to charge more, more for peak and less for off-peak power. Um, but I think a little further definition of the smart grid is in order. Um, it's really a new power system that allows customers to make smarter decisions. For, the guys that, for people at home with their smart meters, um, the ability to control the, the uses that cause peaking, such as your air conditioners, your heaters, uh, things like that. Right. Peak response, giving you back energy efficiency. You know, inform the customers uh, of the cost and the use of the energy that they're they're doing. And for right. And you know, as a consumer, I don't just want the information. I want to be able to act on the information. And that's where I hope that you know we really get a chance to interact and interface with that information so that it's not just something that I can read about and say, oh, well, that's great, but I can actually take action on that information. Chad, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Go Green Radio. Folks, we'll be back same time, same place with more great stories and information that you need to be informed about how to go green in your life. Thanks again, Chad. Everybody have a great week, and we'll talk to you again next week with Go Green Radio. Thanks, Joe. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.